Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning and happy Friday heading into Labor Day weekend. I hope that all of you have some great family plans and uh, we'll get to take uh, kind of a relaxing weekend in the midst of all of the crazy going on in the world. And I wanted to start out this morning uh, just encouraging you to think about uh, everything that is going on in the news cycle, in civil society, uh, in America, in the world from a biblical perspective, because the Lord says that we will always be in conflict as Christians with a sinful world that wants to promote evil, and that this is a spiritual battle. And Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 talks about putting on the whole armor of God. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And of course, uh, we as Christians are very familiar with this passage in Ephesians, and it is so timely uh, in this moment in American history. And as we are looking at what is going on in our civil society that I truly think is a very pivotal moment. And we've been talking about this uh, this week and over the past couple of weeks about the weaponization of government. And my next guest coming up in the next segment, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more broadly and, and the whole worldview perspective of uh, the weaponization of government and uh, related to the indictments of President Trump, but um, also the targeting of, of Christians and conservatives across the nation and, and why this is a bigger thing uh, than just a political attack. This is something that has uh, deeper consequences for freedom and liberty. And when we as Christians are looking at this, and we're seeing what's going on in our day and in our moment to stand for the truth. We need to look uh, to the history of the Christians that have gone before us, that have withstood the evil in their day. And justice doesn't always happen um, in this life. And sometimes 
um, the the evil prevails, and we see that through the Christian martyrs that have come before us. But ultimately, God's church prevails, and we know that regardless of whatever happens in this life, we know that we can stand firm on our hope for eternity. And so I am praying that truth and justice will prevail in the United States of America, that we will continue to persist as a republic. And we need to be praying with all perseverance and supplication, but we need to stand ready and be prepared with the full armor of God because we don't know what God has for this country. We only know that we can count on his promises for the Christians for eternity. And we need to have that hope, but recognize that this is a spiritual battle. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the Morning. So joining me now is my good friend, Mike Davis, who is the founder of the Article 3 Project, which is a great organization. And Mike, you have prolifically uh, talked about the indictment. You have been talking about all of the weaponization of government issues related to Donald Trump, as well as other people. Now there are lawyers uh, like me involved. Obviously, I'm limited as a defendant in what I can say, which quite frankly is frustrating, but you aren't. So I wanted to bring you on and get your legal analysis uh, about this particular indictment and just overall what this does to the legal landscape in America. So from kind of a 30,000 foot perspective to begin with, what are your overall thoughts on the Georgia indictment? Thank you for having me on, Jenna. And I am coming on here, even though we disagree on President Trump and the presidential race, I think this indictment of uh, President Trump and 18 others, including his lawyers like you, even a lawyer who may not be supporting him right now in the presidential primary, I think it's outrageous what is happening to our legal system and our political system and our country. These are republic-ending tactics by these Democrats. Uh, I don't know how you come back from this as a country where you think it's acceptable to indict a former president, uh, a presidential candidates for the first time in American history, along with his top aides, his advisors, including his attorneys and his supporters, including uh, contingent electors uh, to the to the Electoral College. Uh, this is part of a lawfare campaign that's been going on for over a year. And frankly, it's been going on for many years if you go back to the Russian collusion hoax. But this has really been going on for the last year since August with the Mar-a-Lago rate, where they went after uh, President Trump for the non-crime of a former president having his presidential records, which is allowed by the Presidential Records Act. That's why Congress gives former presidents secure office space, office of the former president with Secret Service protection, federally funded staff with security clearances. Uh, we didn't see any of these records leak from Mar-a-Lago until Biden had Garland send Jay Bratt to raid the former president to get back these records, right? And at the same time that this is happening, Joe Biden got caught with five stashes of stolen classified records, stolen from his days as vice president, and even as a senator, moved several times, unguarded for years, 
uh, accessible by their Chinese agents and almost certainly used by Hunter Biden to secure tens of millions of dollars in the illegal Chinese, Ukrainian, Romanian, and who knows what other uh, corrupt funding for the Biden. It seems like every Biden was on the payroll except for the five-year-old granddaughter who they didn't acknowledge for five years. And so it started with this Mar-a-Lago raid. And, uh, you know, it, it, it has just continued. Now we have Jack Smith indicting Trump on the Mar-a-Lago raid. You have Jack Smith indicting tr- Trump for the non-crime of objecting to a presidential election, which is allowed by the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Twisting arms politically is allowed by the First Amendment. And if it's a crime to object to presidential elections, Democrats would be in prison for objecting to presidential wins in 1968, 2000, 2004, and 2016. This idea that you can object to a, you can be thrown in prison for objecting to a presidential election, that's what happens in third world Marxist hellholes like North Korea and Zimbabwe and now New York and D.C. and Atlanta. So that's what America has become. This lawfare has continued with Fannie Willis. um, And obviously, that's your case, Jenna, which is absolutely ridiculous. This this prosecutor is a Democrat hack, partisan prosecutor. She's dumber than a box of rocks, as obvious by her press conference when she gave, got went out and gave a press conference. She's obviously colluding with the Biden administration. She was asked about that at her press conference. She had an answer to, it seems like, everything except for whether she's coordinating with the Biden administration. So that's your cue that she's obviously coordinating. She has brought a ridiculous legal theory. She's charging racketeering uh, for objecting to a presidential election. And and in order for a racketeering charge to stick, that racketeering is what is used by law enforcement to take down the mob. That's what Rudy Giuliani used to take down the mob. And now Fannie Willis is using racketeering to take down her political opponents. This is absurd what she's doing with this. And it's essentially all these different various lawful actions somehow are are a conspiracy to do something that's not unlawful, which is object to a presidential election. Again, allowed by the Electoral Count Act of 1887, twisting arms politically allowed by the First Amendment. Even if it's an ugly process, even if it's a messy process, that's politics, right? That's how it works. If it were were a crime to be a jerk in politics or be boorish, Every politician in America, besides Chuck Grassley, my former boss, who's the nicest man on the planet, every other politician in America would be in prison. This is politicizing this. Excuse me. This is criminalizing the political political process. And more troubling is they are criminalizing the legal process. They're making it where lawyers giving advice to clients, even if you think that advice is wrong or even if you think it's crazy to criminalize Legal advice to clients is so dangerous. Think about this. When Brown versus Board of Education was going up through the legal system back in the 1950s, that was a radical legal theory back then that we had that separate but equal under Plessy versus Ferguson was just uh, completely wrong under our Constitution. It's the correct legal theory looking back 60-plus years. Obviously, uh, separate but equal is obviously uh, it, it is obviously wrong under our Constitution, but 
People thought that Brown versus Board of Education was a radical concept, that 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 black kids and white kids were equal under our law. And it was just imagine if these lawyers felt that they couldn't bring that legal argument uh, 60 years ago because it was too considered too radical. Right. It's just like now with this election, I mean, to, to bring a challenge under the Electoral Count Act of 1887 to to bring a legal theory that was published in the Yale Law review, right? It, even if you think the theory is wrong about how you can how you can send up contingent electors, it was published in the Yale Law Review, and that's what they did in the 1960 election with John Kennedy. So, but because it's Trump, because it's conservatives, because it's Republicans, now it's all of a sudden we have the Trump derangement exception to the Constitution, to the First Amendment. We have the Trump derangement exception to the Electoral Count Act of 80, 1887. What they're trying to do is, is they're trying to say that what you know what happened on January 6th was we had a lawful protest that was permitted by the National Park Service that got out of control and turned into a riot, right? It was not an insurrection. How many insurrectionists get to a floor of a nation's Senate and they don't burn the damn place down? They walk through velvet ropes and they take selfies on the Senate floor. Yes, there were bad actors on January 6th. But to try to lump them all together and say that they were a part of some grand conspiracy, grand insurrection to overthrow the government, and therefore we're going to charge everyone who brought lawful objections on January 6th, including their lawyers, including their top aides, including their Justice Department officials, this is obscene and this is so damaging to our country. This is so much bigger than Donald J. Trump. And I'm a I'm a Trump supporter, but this is so much bigger than Donald Trump. This is think about this is this is how the Roman Republic fell. Well, we had Caesar, who was a populist outsider, and the Roman insiders did not like him, right? And so they waged lawfare against him. And that that he felt he had no other option but to but to uh, cross the Rubicon from Gaul into Rome to take out the lawfare. And it led to a civil war, and it led to the end of, end of the, Ro- the Roman Republic. And I'm not saying that this is going to end in a civil war, but this is going to go into a legal and political tit for tat. There's no chance now that when Donald Trump or whoever the next Republican is back in office, that they're just going to say, you know what, we, you know, we, we need to take the high road now and not do what the Democrats did to us. There's no chance that's going to happen. There's going to be a tit for tat, and it's going to lead to a death spiral for our country legally and politically. And it's just, it's so much, it's it's so damaging, it's so destructive, it's so short-sighted. Or maybe for the Marxist left, this is this is exactly what they intended, because this is the perfect perfect recipe to destroy a country. I mean, China can destroy our country from within with BLM riots and COVID lockdowns and now, you know, Marxist driven lawfare and not even have to fire a shot. And I'm speaking with Mike Davis, who is the founder of the Article 3 Project. And Mike, we've talked about how this this is bigger than Donald Trump. And I agree with that. Um, there have been so many conservatives that have been targeted by the weaponization of government for a variety of ridiculous, unconstitutional and absurd reasons. Um, because you're a lawyer, let's focus on the, the lawyers for a moment. And obviously, I'm one of them that has been targeted. Uh, but what type of chilling effect 
does this actually have on the practice of law and on the ability to zealously advocate for a client and have uh, legal theories petition the government on behalf of your client for redress, whether that's in the court system, it's uh, legislators or um, you know any other method. What does this actually do to the practice of law when we've talked about criminalizing the practice of law? I mean, it's it is it is so damaging to our uh, to to our republic. I mean, it's it, these are it is it is a bedrock constitutional right that you have the right to counsel, right and if, if you don't have a right to counsel under our system, it's an adversarial system. If you don't have a right to counsel, you're toast, right? It's not, it's it's not like the British Inquisition system where you have a you know a neutral arbiter trying to get to the get to the truth, uh, you know, on behalf of the court. In our system, it's the 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 plaintiff and the defendant, uh, the government or the defendant. They have to put put on their own case. They have to put on their own prosecution. And they have to put on their own defense. You can't really do that without an attorney. There are some people who can do it pro se, but it's it's very, very, very rare. And, uh, you know, think about this, like the Gitmo detainees, right? Those are the, those should be the most unpopular people on the planet, right? Because they are, they waged war against the United States on 9-11 and killed thousands of people. They waged war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a chance, small chance that, you know, some of those people could be innocent. Right. And so do you want attorneys at these big law firms like Eric Holder sent his fancy attorneys to go provide their pro bono representation to these Gitmo detainees? Uh, of course, they let January 6th defendants, Americans rot in the D.C. Gulag during this time. But do we want a system where if you go represent a Gitmo detainee, a very disfavored defendant, and, you know, you make a legal theory, you, you make a legal argument based upon an out there legal theory. Do we do we want to criminalize that? Because that's how these Gitmo detainees won their habeas rights with the Supreme Court was a was lawyers making, you know, pretty novel legal theory, uh, legal arguments based upon pretty out there legal theories. And they won in the Supreme Court. Right. And so do we want to punish that? Do we want to do we want to send a a message to lawyers that if you're if 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 your legal argument is not accepted by the uniparty, uh, that you could fa- you could face prison. I mean, this that's that's insane. That's what you do in Zimbabwe, and now apparently again in New York, D.C., and Atlanta. Yeah, and and Mike Davis uh, with the Article Three Project. This is something that that to me it it is a chilling effect on the practice of law because how would we then distinguish between what novel arguments or cases of first impression or zealous advocacy uh, actually means in terms of the parameters if we're suggesting then as a country that if you lose your claim and you don't prevail, then you can be criminalized. I mean, I'm thinking of lawyers, for example, who went after Marjorie Taylor Greene in the state of Georgia as well and had this, what I would consider a ridiculous perversion of the Constitution, but they brought this argument under uh, the 14th Amendment, trying to take that term insurrection, wrongfully apply that to what happened to January 6th, but have that argument to try to get her disqualified from her federal office. Uh, Those lawyers ultimately did not succeed, but I don't see the state of Georgia criminalizing uh, their conduct, indicting them, or anyone even going after their bar licenses and their livelihood, their credibility. Uh, So what's the distinction here? 
the distinction is is that today's Democrats are leftist, they're Marxist, and it's not our parents or grandparents' Democrat Party. These aren't liberals who love America and just disagree with conservatives on the best way to get there. These are Marxist. They hate free speech. They believe in censorship. They hate equality. They believe in equity. They hate due process. They believe in Me Too presumption of guilt and the weaponization of our justice system. And Republicans, conservatives are too big of wimps. Uh, we let them get away with this like we've let them get away with this for the last year with this lawfare with President Trump. And I've been warning people for a year, this is not going to stop with President Trump. If you think this is going to stop with President Trump, you don't understand 100 years of Marxist history with 100 million people who have been murdered by these savages, right? So uh, Republicans need to wake up. I think that Republican Southern white male uh, Republicans are the biggest cowards on the planet. They have no backbone. They are so scared of being called racist by Democrats that they are the most easily manipulated politicians on the planet. Um, and you don't need to respond to that, Jenna. But um, uh, it's uh, I think Republicans need to give Democrats a healthy dose of their own medicine with this insurrection theory. I just talked about this on Laura Ingram's show last night. But essentially, after the Civil War, um, these so these con- Confederate sympathizers kept getting elected to the House of Representatives and other offices. And so as part of the Civil War amendments, the 13th, 14th and 15th amendments to outlaw slavery and to provide equal protection and due process to the freed slaves, they included Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, disqualifies insurrectionists from the Civil War from holding office. And under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, it gives Congress the power to implement the 14th Amendment. And there is a case from nearly 150 years ago that says that in order to disqualify a uh, an elected official under the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, it has to be through Congress passing legislation subject to Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. So Congress has done that. Congress passed an insurrection and rebellion statute. Um, that uh, it's it's different from seditious conspiracy, which is what uh, the the uh, these uh, the Biden Justice Department have been charging these January sixth defendants with. But rebellion and insurrection is a very high hurdle, and Congress did that on purpose, right? And so there's a reason that the Biden Justice Department has not charged anyone with rebellion or insurrection because they don't have the evidence. The January sixth committee looked for several years for that evidence. They found no evidence because it does not exist. Again, how many insurrectionists get to the Senate floor of a nation's capital and take selfies and walk through velvet ropes and don't burn down the damn place, right? And I'm not saying that everyone that day was innocent. There were a lot of bad people that day. There were people who were there peacefully, even if you think they were right, or even if you think they were wrong, even if you think they were crazy, they have an absolute First Amendment right to be there. They had a permit from the National Park Service. There were the people who trespassed, and they should be uh, charged with trespass. And then there were the people who were violent, and they should be charged the most severely. But I, I don't want to see these people clutching their pearls about January 6th and throwing these people in jail uncharged, un, without a trial for several years, while they let BLM and Antifa destroy American cities. Two million, two billion dollars in damage, uh, damages, dozens of lives lost, killed. Uh, you know, if if you think January sixth was worse and more destructive than the the BLM riots, like Judge Tanya Shutkin does, then you have a warped sense of reality.
And what do you make, Mike Davis, of the argument that's now being promulgated by uh, Judge Lutig and uh, Lawrence Tribe, who's an attorney? They wrote a piece in The Atlantic saying that uh, there doesn't need to be a conviction. There doesn't even need to be a finding by a judicial arbiter or um, anything related to a congressional act at all for Donald Trump to just be immediately and disqualified from holding federal office and being taken off the ballot. And some secretaries of state are actually entertaining this theory now uh, to try to take Donald Trump off the ballot based on this insurrection theory. And by the way, I don't see anyone uh, calling for destroying the livelihood, credibility, reputation, uh, bar licensing or criminalizing uh, Lawrence Tribe for this argument that I think is ridiculous. But what say you? I mean, let's talk about how can you get more destructive to democracy? We're just we don't like a presidential candidate. So we're just going to disqualify him from the ballot. And we're not even going to do it through a court process with a criminal statute and evidence and a judge and a jury and a trial and a due process and appeals. We're just going to have some, you know, some partisan uh, you know, some partisan secretary of state in New Hampshire, for example, just unilaterally decide that that Trump's disqualified from the ballot. That is an absurd legal theory. Judge Michael Ludig, this former judge, has just just totally embarrassed himself. He used to be a respected conservative judge who was a Supreme Court contender. Uh, Justice Alito, thankfully, got that slot. Judge Ludig is has just absolutely lost his mind. He's embarrassed himself. And, you know, same with Larry Tribe. He's like this 80-year-old, used to be a very highly respected liberal Harvard law professor, and now he's just become a Trump-deranged leftist. And I would say to Larry, it's time to change your diapers. It's time to eat your pudding. It's time to go to bed because your legal theory is just utterly absurd and it is highly destructive to our country. And, you know, they, they talk about uh, breaking apart our country. What do they think would happen if you had these secretaries of state in maybe Michigan, New Hampshire and other swing states just take Trump off the ballot? And so Biden wins by default. You, you, how do you do you think that's going to sit well in America? That would rip our country apart. And it is a stupid legal theory. It's an absurd legal theory. It's a reckless Legal theory. I, I encourage people to go read an article by Stanford Law Professor Michael McConnell. He is a uh, conservative, more libertarian, former federal judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. He was a judge when I clerked for Justice Gorsuch on the t- then Judge Gorsuch on the Tenth Circuit. He's a very good guy. He's not a Trump fan at all. He's actually a, a Trump c- critic, uh, but he is a principled conservative, a, a principled legal thinker. And he has come out and said that what Ludig and Lawrence Tribe are advocating is just dead wrong as a matter of constitutional law. There is, like we talked about, uh, Jenna, there's a, there's a federal statute that deals with insurrection uh, and rebellion. It was passed pursuant to Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, and it was passed because of this uh, controlling case from more than 150 years ago that's directly on point, that if you want to disqualify under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, Congress must pass a criminal statute and it must be, uh, there must be evidence, there must be a judge, there must be a jury, there must be a trial, there must be appeals.
So why isn't anyone going after the bar licenses of these two guys that are promulgating a theory that is a threat to democracy and is clearly in the realm of challenging elections or the administration and the identity of, of someone who's on the ballot? Why aren't they getting disbarred over this? That's, that is a very good question, Jenna. And, you know, maybe we should maybe we should talk about this more because I think the Article 3 projects. I know you're tied up right now, hopefully not literally, but uh, but the I, you know, I hope I, I think the Article three project could could use a a lawyer with that mindset, uh, you know, to to start giving these Democrat operatives a healthy dose of their own medicine. I call it the dead chicken strategy. And just very briefly on that, when I uh, helped Justice Gorsuch get set up on the Supreme Court, uh, I was one of his four law clerks and there's a tradition that each one what each of these justices have four law clerks and they have lunch with each one of the eight other justices over the course of their clerkship and so we were only there for a few months to get them set up as the older uh the the washed up older clerks and so but each one of the justices was very gracious and met, met us for lunch while we were doing our uh clerkship speed dating as we called it we had lunch with justice Clarence Thomas and it was the best three hours of my life, because uh, if you have lunch with Justice Clarence Thomas, it's at, it's at least three hours. And uh, we had barbecue. It was out in Virginia. And he was talking about when he was growing up on the farm in Georgia, when dogs killed chickens, you would wrap those dead chickens around those dogs' necks. And as those dead chickens rotted around those dogs' necks, those dogs lost the taste for chicken. And so I I used that approach for the Kavanaugh confirmation with the Me Too allegations that came in, six of them, and I gave Democrats a dose of their own medicine. You have to wrap these dead dead chickens around their necks in order for them to stop doing their law. And so we need to give Democrats a healthy dose of their own medicine, dead chicken strategy, give them some, some of their own lawfare, whether it's the bar complaints through the Article 3 project, through uh, maybe Jenna Ellis down the road, who knows, um, or when I'm uh, when I'm. Trump's acting attorney general or Jenna's DeSantis's acting attorney general during our three week reign of terror before we are chased out of town with our presidential pardons. Uh, maybe we need to start indicting. Maybe we need to start uh, deporting. Maybe we need to start firing. Maybe we need to start detaining. We, we need to recommend pardons. We need to give Democrats a healthy dose of their own medicine. Today's Democrats are Marxist. They only respect power. That's all they care about. That's that's their goal or their God is power on earth. They're godless. So they only want power on earth. That's their goal or God. Their religion or strategy to, to get their goal or God of power on earth is Marxism. They can't say that. That's not popular. So they use their religious sects or tactics for their, uh, for their uh, strategy or religion of Marxism, for their goal or God of power on earth. And that is to divide and conquer. It's chaos, whether it's me too and you know the 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 gender chaos with me too and 15 pronouns racial chaos with blm and race riots and you know equity uh the, the their lawfare uh, against uh, their their political opponents their covid lockdowns it's just the covidians it never ends what but it's constant chaos it's constant division we in order to stop them we have to give them a healthy dose of their own medicine mm-hmm. 
And you spoke earlier, Mike Davis, about um, about unity in the sense that, you know, you're coming on this show and we obviously disagree on the best presidential candidate for the GOP primary, which um, is a big deal, even though in obviously the the grand scheme of all of this and, um, you know, scheme <laughs> tongue in cheek there. But um, but, you know, within the greater issues that America is facing, I'm disheartened to see people that don't see this as bigger than Donald Trump or bigger than Ron DeSantis. And whether you love or hate Trump, you love or hate Ron DeSantis, we all should be as conservatives loving America, loving our U.S. Constitution, loving the rule of law, not wanting uh, to aid in any way in tearing down this country by these Marxist leftists. And so where would you like to see the conversation move from here? Because I would love personally to see a Trump stop badgering DeSantis, calling him nicknames, you know, don't spend any more money um, throwing at him. And and I would love to see Ron DeSantis directly addressing these indictments and saying that this is weaponization of government against Donald Trump, even though he's a primary opponent, be a leader, directly address it, condemn it. And then both of them can appeal to the American people as far as what they believe is the solution, the accountability mechanism, but move forward and at least unite on this. Is there potentially any hope for that? Or how would you like to see the conversation uh, progress, at least in, in, a, in an ideal world with, within the GOP party, at least? I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said there. I, 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 we need to come together as a party, um, and primaries are healthy. Primaries are important. You have a debate of ideas, um, and you know, but I, I agree with you. This is so much bigger than Donald Trump. This is so much bigger than Ron DeSantis. This is so much bigger than the Republican Party or even one presidential race. This is about our country. This is, as I said, these are Republic-ending tactics. When you, we have not indicted a former president or a presidential candidate in um, in American history. This is the first time in American history this has happened. And we've had now with Trump two impeachments and four indictments, and it's all bogus. It's all lawless. This is all bogus. And it just, frankly, I mean, politically, I love it because it's having the opposite of effect of what the Democrats intended. They thought that they were going to indict Trump once Give him the nomination and have a weak, weakened Donald Trump that they can, who they could beat. I don't think that they understood that they can't stop themselves. They ran, they did the same thing during the Kavanaugh. They couldn't just stick to Christine Blasey Ford, who was lying through her teeth, but she was the most credible. They would have won. They would have stopped Kavanaugh. And I ran the confirmation. I know this. They would have stopped Kavanaugh. Uh, they would have, uh, de- Democrats would have stopped Kavanaugh. They would have won the Senate. They would have blocked the Kavanaugh seat. For the next two years, they would have won the White House. They would have won the Supreme Court. They would have won the country. It would have been game over America. They, But they couldn't just stick to Christine Blasey Ford. They brought in five other goofballs, including Mike Lovinati and Julie Swetnick. And then not only did we confirm Justice Kavanaugh for the rest of his life, we sent four Senate Democrats into early retirement in a year when Democrats won the House of Representatives. We ran the dead chicken strategy. We're going to do the same thing this election. Democrats couldn't just stick to the Mar-a-Lago raid with the presidential records. Again, their strongest case, but that's their strongest case. But uh, it, it, it's legally it's it's wrong as a matter of law because the Presidential Records Act, not the Espionage Act, but they couldn't just stick to that. They had to bring in three other lawsuits. They brought in Alvin Bragg's goofy 
uh, criminal and actually four other lawsuits because they brought in Alvin Bragg's goofy criminal indictment in New York for the non-crime of a businessman settling, uh, 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 excuse me, a non-crime of a businessman settling a nuisance claim. Uh, and somehow Alvin Bragg turned that into a campaign finance felony. It's it's absurd. And then you had Fannie Willis, or excuse me, Tish James, the New York Attorney General, bring the civil fraud lawsuit against Trump for the non-fraud of a businessman paying back sophisticated Wall Street banks in full with interest. And then you have Jack Smith with the Mar-a-Lago raid, which again is the most, is their strongest case, but it's legally flawed. But they couldn't just stick to that. Then they brought Jack Smith, who got reversed unanimously by the Supreme Court the last time he went after a, a Republican, a likely Republican presidential contender, uh, former Virginia Governor Bob McDonald. He, uh, Jack Smith brought a bogus uh, corruption case against him, won a conviction, won on appeal, and got reversed unanimously on the, by the Supreme Court several years later after the damage was done, after they took out Virginia Governor Bob McDonald as a likely presidential or vice presidential contender in 2016. But the damage was done. They're running the same play now. But we have Jack Smith with his January 6th theory, which we've talked about, which is bogus. And then Fannie Willis, who is the Michael Avenatti of this, has brought in her bogus theory. And she couldn't just stick to a bogus theory. She made it a really bizarre, laughably stupid theory called racketeering and brought in 19 others, you know, 18 others besides Trump. It is the dumbest case I've ever seen. It's the most destructive case I've ever seen. She's going to get reversed uh, on appeal, probably by the Supreme Court, but she'll, you know, she'll probably win a criminal conviction with an Atlanta judge and an Atlanta jury and, you know, a, 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 a dumpster fire of a legal system in Atlanta, but she's not going to prevail as a matter of law on appeal, even if it has to go all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, Mike Davis, I really appreciate all of your insights and uh, your willingness to stand up and fight for this country and your perspectives on lawfare. How can people support you and the Article 3 project and find out all about the good work that you're doing? Uh, thank you very much, Jenna. You can donate at article3project.org, article3project.org. We are lean and mean, and we spend the money wisely. At Article 3 Project, at Article Number 3 Project, on Getter, Twitter, Truth, and at M-R-D-D-M-I-A, M-R-D-D-M-I-A. My initials in Des Moines, Iowa. I want to say this, because you're probably too modest to say this. People need to uh, donate to Jenna Ellis's legal defense bond. She should not be bankrupted and destroyed for representing a client. So people need to go on there and donate to her like I did. Even though we disagree on the presidential election, I would be the biggest hypocrite on the planet if I didn't defend Jenna Ellis on this lawfare because I disagree with her on the presidential race. Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your support and uh, pushing that out um, publicly on social media and also on this show. So thank you for your support and uh, recognizing that we can all disagree on politics, but we should all unanimously agree on the principles of freedom and liberty and the Constitution in this country. So thank you so much and look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you, Jennifer. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
Welcome back. And if you missed the full interview in the last segment with my good friend, uh, Mike Davis of the Article 3 Project, you can always listen to the podcast posted after the live show at AFR.net. And you can hear all of the uh, past episodes and definitely share those on social media. We also stream on Facebook. Um, Obviously, we have the, the Twitter page for uh, Jenna Ellis in the morning. That's at Jenna Ellis AM. Uh, if you are a Twitter or now uh, formerly known as Twitter, an X user, you can always follow us there. And uh, sometimes, and we need to actually get, get better at this, I'll, I'll get better at posting there um, the, the preview of the guests that we have coming on the next day. But uh, we, do, we do post content there and you can also follow the show page on Facebook as well. Um, but, you know, I really appreciated what Mike Davis had to say in the broader perspective of why um, this is an important time in America. And and one of the things that for me personally, uh, going through the, this um, indictment and this whole experience of being targeted by the weaponization of government um, that I have been so, so thankful for is to see the broad and massive support from Americans across all segments. Um, obviously, God's people have have rallied and have um, all of you from our AFR family um, daily send me encouraging emails and scripture. And I read those and I'm so thankful for all of you that are supporting me. Um, you can reach me, Jenna, at AFR.net. And thank you for that. Um, that is so meaningful to me to know that I have support from God's people and from the church of the Lord. Um, this is why the church matters. And this is why we are supposed to, as Christians, be part of not only a local church, but also of the church, which is God's people. And um, my my good friends out in uh, California with Grace Community Church and Pastor John MacArthur, um, I was speaking with uh, with one of the elders this past week and, um, and just saying how thankful I am for their church and their support as well. And, you know, so many other churches across the country. Um, but but how it's so fascinating to me uh, that looking at at the posture of where Pastor MacArthur was um, only three years ago, he was being faced with imprisonment for standing up for his faith, for standing up for um, the ability and the constitutionally protected right to uh, freely exercise religion, not have the state tell the church what you can and can't uh, do in terms of meeting um, how you can and can't worship. And he was willing to stand firm on those principles and he was threatened with jail time. And uh, just uh, yesterday, the um, the two pastors that are also mentioned in the Essential Church film that also talks about John MacArthur, but those the two Canadian pastors that were actually jailed in Canada um, for over a month for their faith and for opening up their churches in the midst of COVID, uh, Tim Stevens and uh, James Coates, their charges were finally dismissed um, just a couple of days ago, um, and and I think James Coates was just yesterday, and and that whole incredible arc. I mean, that took three years that they were under this threat. And yet they have resolved to stand firm and to say that um, that they know that they are going to rely on their faith. And, and I just want all of you from our AFR family to know, because a lot of people have asked you or asked me how I'm doing and, um, you know, how all of this, how I'm dealing with all of this. And I just want you to know from um, from an AFR family perspective, um, you know, I 
am trying my best to use this situation to truly be an example uh, to the world of someone who is deeply grounded in my faith um, and to use every opportunity that I can on media. And I've gone on a lot of different uh shows over the last couple of weeks to talk about the criminalization of the practice of law, the weaponization of government, but even more importantly than that, which that's very important, but more importantly than that, I've taken every opportunity to explain the truth of the gospel of Christ, to give a presentation of the gospel, and to say why I am firm and confident in my faith and why I am joyful in all things and why the Bible is true. And when God promises us that we can withstand and do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that's not just a promise of, you know, oh, we're having a bad hair day and, you know, but I can do this through God who strengthens me. You know, we, we tend to, in America, we, we've, we have had the blessings of liberty so much that when we think of things going wrong, sometimes it's the, it's the trivial things. Um, but then, you know, it is, where our faith and rubber meets the road with our faith is when we are put through the fiery trials. And and this is not just me. I mean, I'm having to do this on a, a national scale with national scrutiny. But I know that there are so many people and a lot of you have written to me um, explaining the trials you're going through. And, and a lot of these things are so hard. I mean, whether it's loss of a family member, um, you know, loss of of a dream that you've had, like, you know, the, the ability to have children. I mean, you know, some of these things that are just so difficult and, and tragic. Uh, Pastor MacArthur always says, and, and I loved this, where he said he can't wait for heaven because he's just so tired of sin. And that is the hope of the Christian, that no matter what we face in this life, this is as bad as it's ever going to get. And so we can withstand anything and we can have confidence in the truth of the gospel of Christ and the the hope, which is the patient expectation that we will spend eternity with Christ. And so it gives us a broader perspective of why we can withstand with hope and joy and determination. And now that doesn't mean that I'm not going to fight for my country and I'm not going to you know, put on as much legal defense as I possibly can. All of those things, absolutely. Um, the Apostle Paul gives a really great example of all of that um, through his life and ministry. But I want you to also understand that, you know, for me, that my faith is not something that's new. And it's not something that I cling to only in the good times or in the trivial bad times or to, you know, put up a Bible verse like it's a affirmation fortune cookie. I mean, you all who are um, deep Christians who join us regularly as part of the AFR family, you understand this because your faith is grounded as well. And let this be an encouragement to you as much as you have encouraged me that the hope that we have in the truth of the gospel of Christ is genuinely what sustains us. And so I'm so grateful for the Christians that have supported me. And I'm also grateful for the people who don't share our biblical worldview that see all of this as such a threat to our country that they are defending me even when we disagree. And one of my uh, my good friends, uh, Robin Byro, he is a former Obama uh, campaign regional director and also a uh, former 
United States Army Ranger, so he's a military veteran. I got to know him because uh, when I was working for President Trump's uh, campaign, I would often go on these debate panels um, on the networks and and um, especially Fox News, and they love to panel <laughs> to panel me with a Democrat. And so the people that I saw most often in the studio were people who were you know leftist liberals, Democrats, and um, and you know and even though they didn't share my perspective. I still wanted to uh, to befriend them, and so Robin uh, sent me this really sweet um, letter that said that he wanted to go on record as a supporter and defender of me, and um, it, and it was just a really amazing moment to have him email me, and he and he um, also donated to my legal defense, which um, I really also need, and I appreciate everyone um, who's who did that. If you'd like to. Uh, donate to that. It is uh, givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna. But um, seeing this from, from even a Democrat who's saying, you know, because of our friendship and because I know the quality of your character, I want to support you in this. That's how we can spread the truth of the gospel of Christ. And so I just want to encourage you heading into this weekend, continue to stand up for truth. Know that the promises of God are real.